49 year cycle. Mm -hmm. There was no 50th Jubilee after the 49th year. Nowhere is it anything said about two sabbatical years in succession. All I could see was this light coming in. The Holy Spirit went, it blew into me. I have never been the same since then. That was it. I'm done. I was born again. Welcome to the Word Christian Podcast. I am your host, Samuel Delgado, and this is episode 94. I interviewed Roger Young about biblical chronology. So we talked about the date of Adam's creation, the date of the Exodus, how long the Israelites spent in Egypt, whether or not it was the full 430 years or not. We talk about the date of Christ's birth and his crucifixion. And then we get into the Jubilee year cycles and how long those were. Were they 49 year cycles or 50? And then we also talk a little bit about the 7,000-year plan for man uh, prophecy that has picked up some popularity as of late. Uh, so, it's a, a fun episode. Hope you enjoy. With no further ado, let's get weird. Thank you so much um, for doing this interview. Uh, i first like to say this is a topic that I have a lot of interest in, um, and as long as I've been podcasting, um, I have yet to cover this subject, so I'm really pleased um, to have you on and, and cover this today. Um, so uh, welcome, and thanks for, thanks for being on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, so why don't you start just by uh, introducing uh, yourself, just give a little bit of background, and, and tell us uh, how, did you, how did your interest with biblical chronology begin? Well, I was um, not a Christian through my undergraduate years, and um, so I had no interest in biblical chronology at that time. I undergraduate years were getting a degree in physics at Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Then I got a scholarship to Oxford University where I studied um, math physical mathematics, got two degrees in physical mathematics from Oxford University. While at Oxford, I heard the gospel clearly presented and became a Christian. And that, of course, was essential to any understanding of the Bible. I then went, uh, after two years in the army, I, I went to uh, the uh, seminary of the Nazarene Church in Kansas City and studied biblical languages and theology. So I don't have a degree from there, but I did study for two years. Hmm. It's been very useful knowing, the, especially Hebrew, of figuring out these chronological things. And but like many of my generation who studied physics, we went into the into computers. And so I worked for here in St. Louis. I worked with computers. I retired from IBM in 2003, at which time I began to really study the issues of biblical chronology and began to publish my first articles in peer-reviewed journals in 2003. And I now have about I think 15 or 17 peer-reviewed articles that are on my website. Wow, that's great. Um, awesome. So hopefully uh, for the listener, if they're not familiar with biblical chronology, we can kind of give them a nice overview. Um, I've kind of structured the interview to just kind of hit some some major uh, topics, I think, that are um, relevant to what we're going to be speaking about today. Uh, but first I want to ask you, it, you know, this might be uh, a little bit more information as far as, you know, what got you into it, but why does bibl biblical chronology matter? Well, if you read the Bible, you will get the idea that it does matter because it's from the first pages of the Bible to the very end of the stories of Acts and writings of Paul. 
dates are given, time spans are given from the very beginning. There's a, a tremendous amount of chronological data in the Bible, and if we believe the Bible is inspired, which I fully do, we must believe that it, so for some reason it's interesting to God to make this this information available to us, and we it's to our poverty if we neglect all this tremendous wealth of chronological data in the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're right, and it's uh, if if you, maybe your first time reading or you're just focused more on the stories and characters, it's easy to sort of gloss over those dates. But they certainly uh, seem to be of importance to those that that wrote it. Um, so, uh, yeah, and you know, I, I found that this it also goes back to um, really biblical inerrancy when we look at old Earth, young Earth. I found that most people um, that look at biblical chronology naturally come to a, a young earth understanding. And so I think it, it bleeds into that sort of topic as well. Whereas if you take a, a different position on the age of the earth, then when you look at those the, those dates and things like that, it, it really, it, it's tough to hold the, um, the inerrancy of the Bible uh, and take a different view. So, um, so it does matter into some, some other issues as well. It's not just an isolated uh, issue. So I'm glad to hear you say that. I might say something that there, there are people who are believe in biblical inerrancy, but there's what's called the gap theory. My wife mm, yes. held this theory that is a recreation. And, and so you can speak about the creation of Adam and thinking the old earth people might be willing to go with that definitely there are dates given back to the creation of Adam or and uh, I, I'm willing to tell to have as Christian fellowship with people who believe in inerrancy but take a different interpretations so but then definitely there are years given back to some people say creation of the world others say just the creation of Adam sure yeah yeah the gap period that's kind of almost like a like a cheat code where you can <laughs> kind of hold both things to be be true um even though I don't think that's a very popular theory anymore. Um, yeah, that, that, uh, that, that's right. You're, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I was going to ask about the, the major sticking points when it comes to chronology. Um, what are some of those points that uh, are, are sticking points as you're doing the chronology, maybe from creation uh, to Christ forward? Um, what are some of those areas that are uh, a little bit more difficult to pin down as far as uh, the dates? Well, sort of an anchor point for measuring back in time is the date of the Exodus, but that is related to the First Kings 6, verse 1. There's a lot of controversy about that. And the if you have the date of, of uh, when Solomon's fourth year was when he began construction of the temple, which was the spring of um, 966 BC, then you can measure using the fact that it was a 480th year of the Exodus era. That, by the way, that is not usually translated correctly. The Hebrew does not say after after 480 years. The Hebrew says it was the 480th year of the going out, meaning of the Exodus era. That means 479 years have passed, which means the Exodus was in 1446. That is not held by a people. A lot of people who even consider themselves evangelicals they want a 13th century exodus. I have written quite a bit on that. My colleague, um, 
Daniel Steinman and I have written on that, that. We hold firmly to the 15th century Exodus. Once you have that, you can use the years of the uh, back to Abraham very simply because right. we have that um, it was 430 years from the time of the Exodus. It says to the day in Exodus 12, verse 14 and 41, 430 years to the time that Israel came into Egypt, which would be 1876 BC. Jacob was 130 years old, which means we can measure back. He was born when his father was, Isaac was 60. Isaac was born when his father Abraham was 100. All of that we can get back to 2166 hmm. BC. If we're strictly taking the Bible at what it says, and based on the proper interpretation of 1 Kings 6 1, believing the Bible, we get a very firm date of 2166 BC. And earlier than that, we have to take the chronologies in Genesis chapter 5 and chapter 11. Hmm. Okay, great. I'm, I'm uh, so. I'm glad to hear you uh, date the Exodus uh, where you did. I know there's controversy on that. Um, so I, I do want to go back uh, and revisit that. But as far as um, the date of the, the 2166 BC, are you saying that's uh, that's Adam? No, that's when, when Abraham was born. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I was, I was to say. get back to Adam, we have to go through Genesis 11 and chapter 11 and 5. Okay, and so um, now do you take the position that Adam was created six days after creation, or do you take like a, you don't take a gap theory, do you? Don't go take what? You don't hold to the gap theory that you uh, mentioned earlier? I actually, no. Yeah. So, so when do you date um, creation? Well, I'd rather speak of when I date Adam. Yeah, and, and that's because you. That, this hmm. now we become. There are many, many questions now in the interpretation of, of chapters five and eleven of Genesis, and I'm willing to accept people like my colleague Andrew Steinman. I will mention him some more in what, as we go on. He is emeritus distinguished professor of Hebrew and um, theology at Concordia University of Chicago. He's written several books. He and I are friends, and we write a lot together, and that's why I'm citing him. Andrew, even, he believes that the there are gaps in the chronologies of Genesis 5 and 11. So he's willing to put the creation back about 10,000 B.C. Now, he's a brother in Christ. I'm willing to, I don't go along with that, but I'm willing to accept people who have that kind of a view. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and so what's the date that you put on, Adam? Well, the other, since we're getting into a very problematic area, the other um, question, it becomes textual questions now. One of my friends uh, named Henry Smith, Jr., who's mem another member of the Near East Archaeological Society, and they have their own, their own um, Digging for Truth TV episodes. He is following the lead of someone named Jeremy Sexton in saying that the Septuagint chronologies mm -hmm. is superior to the Masoretic text. You're familiar with the Septuagint and the Masoretic text. The Masoretic text is the Hebrew of the Old Testament that we've received from the Hebrews themselves and the Jewish people, the rabbis preserving the text. But the controversy is that um, Henry Smith and Jeremy Sexton, and we've got other people, including one you already interviewed, Doug Petrovich, Petrovich, 
they believe that the Septuagint chronology is better. This is a very much an issue of textual criticism and also historical criticism. If you take the, I have it written down here, uh, um, what it was, the, um, the, if you take the Septuagint chronology, you get an earlier date for the, um, the creation of Adam. If you get the flood, if you choose chapter 11 in the Septuagint, you get the flood about 781 years earlier than the Masoretic text. Yeah, but that's if not you your get, position, right? I, I want to know what your position is. I... Now, I don't want to commit myself too much to this because it will. if people don't agree with me on that, then they're likely to say, throw what I say over else. I think they have made a good case is what I think. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's fine. People can take whatever position they want, but I'm interviewing Roger Young. I want to know what Roger Young has to say My about this. My current thinking is I think they're right. I think about the Septuagint? Pardon? About the Septuagint? Yes. Okay, so what date would then you put on was, creation? By the way, that's the position that Doug Petrovich also holds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I so got you. If yeah. you take a Septuagint, you get the um, date of the flood, 781 years, and then going back to chapter 5 of Genesis, you get the creation of Adam 1,367 years earlier. And that, yeah. that would put it at five, five, the creation of Adam 5541 BC. Five five four one, yeah, yeah. So the the those who follow the Masoretic may put that closer to to four thousand. So there's like a you yeah know, about um, about fifty years, text, right? If you yeah, it would, the creation would be in forty one seventy four. Yes, I gotcha. All right. So tell me, what is it about the because this I actually did an episode on this with Doug Woodward, um, and. Uh, you know, he made his case also for the Septuagint in that episode. Um, who, who, who made his case? I'm sorry, I didn't. D Doug Woodward? Yeah, Doug, Doug Petrovich, yeah. No, 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 I'm, this is Doug Woodward. This is Doug a, Woodward? Oh, yeah. He favored the Septuagint? Yeah, he's written a book about it. Um, he's written a couple books about it, actually, so I had him on to talk about it. Um, you know, for him, it was the, you know, he saw that the Septuagint, um, lined and matched up with uh the you know egyptian uh, chronology for you personally what is compelling um for you about the septuagint uh versus the masoretic well again you say that if people don't agree with me on this i hope they won't throw out what i think um about the places i really have written myself i've not ventured into writing anything about that but mm. Um, Jeremy Sexton and Henry Smith quote Josephus, and also earlier third century BC writer, what, Epidorus, what, they, they quote earlier Hebrew writers, Jewish writers, who were giving the chronology of Genesis 5 and 11, and they gave the chronology not of this Masoretic text, but of the Septuagint. And these were people who just, they were not people who were stuck on Greek. They were people who read the Hebrew Bible. Hebrew, sure, Josephus sure. read Hebrew. He was a Jew. Right. He understood mm -hmm. the Hebrew Bible. So they are quoting these earlier writers that seem to say that the, that in the time of Josephus and earlier, the Septuagint chronology was accepted by the Jewish people. And these writers say this, that there was an effort by, this is debatable, of course, 
by the Jewish people, by the rabbis to shorten the chronology from the Septuagint because they did not want Christ appearing at the end of 6,000 years and Jesus appearing then, which would make him an argument for being the Messiah. That's some of the things these people mm -hmm. offer. Yeah. Yeah, so and there are some uh, a lot of strength. That's one of them, Josephus for the the Septuagint. This is an issue I looked into quite a bit, um, even after the episode I did with Dead Woodward, and it came up again recently uh, as I was preparing for this actually. Um, and uh, I'm curious if you've heard of the, this weakness because again, one of the strengths I think of the Septuagint uh, is that uh, there's basically a hundred years difference in, in, in many of the, the patriarchs. So the question is whether they um, were added or they were subtracted. Uh, there is one of the patriarchs, um, Nahor, that ah, I think um, there's only 50 years. Uh, and that's because if you were to subtract a uh, hundred years, uh, negative. you'd be a negative. So there's a strong case to say that they um, they were added um, and they, they didn't subtract. So that would be, uh, you know, a strength of the Septuagint view. Um, if we're just looking at going back and, and either adding or subtracting uh, those units. Uh, however, weakness that I found uh, of the Septuagint view was Methuselah is actually, his age is, he's living past the flood. Uh, are you aware of that? Yes, and Henry Smith has written on that in the Alexandrian copy. Uh, you know, Alexandrian, Alexandrian copy, he didn't, I believe, as it is, they live in living past the flood. But Henry Smith is, I may not, I may have it twisted around. But Henry Smith has done the textual study in saying that that is not the proper textual uh, study. You really have, if you straighten that out and correct, say that the Alexandrian is erroneous text then you can find copies of the Septuagint that have him drowning in the year of the flood as in the Masoretic text. Interesting. Okay. All right. Cool. I'll have to look into that. That's interesting. Um, okay, great. So I'm going to go back to the Exodus now. Um, and uh, this is the question of the 430 years um, that they um, that it, I think it's prophesied in Genesis 15. Um do you yes, place so the question is do they include the time only in Egypt or do they include the time in Canaan and Egypt together? That's the question. Yes, do they spend a four hundred thirty years in Egypt? Um, or does that also include the time that Abraham spent in Canaan prior to going? Yes, that's the proper question. And if you take the latter position that includes the time in Canaan, then you come up with a two hundred and fifteen years in Egypt. The um, fact that it was only the time in Egypt, then it was 430 years back from 1446 to 1876 for the time right. that Jacob and family entered Egypt. Doug Petro Petrovich has also written on that quite extensively. I agree with him completely. It's a matter of a textual study of is um, it, um, it's the passage in Exodus that says it was 430 years to the day that the that they were in Egypt. The Masoretic text says in Egypt, but the Samaritan and the, the Septuagint add, add in Canaan. I believe, and along with Doug, that this is that the best evidence is for the Masoretic text in that case. The 430 years in 
is only the time in Egypt. That's what's called the long sojourn theory. Mm -hmm. But those people right. that try to lump, they get 215 years difference if they say it was back to the time of Abraham. So that's called the, the short sojourn theory. Neither did Doug Petrovich, nor Andy Steinman, nor I, um, nor Henry Smith. We all go with the long sojourn theory. Which brings up, I'm not saying about one sentence here. Myself, my area of study is, is the, the Exodus and later. And for that time, I absolutely say that Masoretic texts must be preferred. It's shown in every way, as far as I'm concerned, to be superior for the time of the kingdom, the divided kingdom periods, the Greek text. You cannot trust a lot of the things in the Greek text there. Gotcha. So I am very definitely pro-Masoretic when it comes to the time of the Exodus and later. I gotcha. Actually, that's from the time of the entry into Egypt. It's 1876, not 215 years later. It's Masoretic text we must, we must go by. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. So this is another topic that uh, I, I looked into as well. One argument for the short sojourn being that there's only uh, 215 years in Egypt was um, based off of Aaron's um, genealogy, which is given in, in numbers. Um, he's descended from Levi, and it gives it gives a genealogy there. It doesn't seem like there's enough time um, from Levi to Aaron um, to account for the 430 years. Are you aware of that argument? Yes, and notice that it does not say that in the book of uh, in Genesis five and Genesis eleven it says how many years a person lived after that person was born. It does not give that in the genealogy of, of Moses and Aaron and their sister Miriam. It just says that so-and-so begat so-and-so in the four generations. But as in many places of the Bible, in, that including Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, there are people left out. And what the Hebrew mm -hmm. term for begat or, or um, was a father of, can mean was a grandfather, great grandfather of the Hebrew is very consistent with the fact that there are gaps in the chronology there. I don't know why there are gaps, but the Hebrew and the text itself is very consistent with that. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Um, all right. So we're gonna we're gonna jump forward, and I want to ask about uh, the date of Christ's birth. Um, where do you pin that down? Right. My, I mentioned already Dr. Steinman. Andy and I, Andrew Steinman and I, have written a series of articles on that question. Actually, Andy started it earlier with a, an article published in Novum Testamentum, which is a liberal journal. I was glad he was able to get something sort of defending the Bible in a liberal journal. It was a when inherited the great, great reign. Now, the consensus view, that you could, the, the thing you'll find on Wikipedia and everywhere is that Herod the Great died in 4 BC. And I can tell you in a minute what, why they came up with that date. But that means that since Christ was, was born before Herod died, he fled, uh, Joseph and Mary took him to Egypt before the death of Herod. And when they learned that Herod was dead, they came back. Well, that puts the death, birth of Christ in 5 BC or 6 BC, or some people are even off the rock or going 12 BC. They come up with the idea oh, wow. of Christ born. Oh, wow. We do not believe that. 
And yeah. we have done extensive articles that are on my website in academia.edu, which is where Andy and I also put our articles, showing that why this data for BC came up and why it is an error. And I can, I've written, since I've written quite a bit about that, the actual date of the death of Herod was 1 BC. Virtually every Christian, early Christian author, I mean early, I mean 7th, 3rd century BC, whoever wrote on when Jesus was born, put it in either late 3 BC, early 2 BC. Therefore, Jack Finnegan, who wrote one of the three most important books you can ever read on biblical chronology, his handbook of biblical chronology, he went in his second edition and realized that Christ was really born in 3 or 2 BC and Herod died in 1 BC. That is the position that Andrew Steinman and I take. It was pioneered by a man named W.E. Filmer, who back in the 1970s, I guess, I forget the exact date he published, he showed from the writings of Josephus and also the Roman writers how the date of 4 BC for the death of Herod cannot be held. He has to die in 1 BC, therefore Christ was born in 3 or 2 BC. Hmm, interesting. And, and, and uh, where did you say the idea, the erroneous idea of his 480 uh, death date asked, came from? I'm, I'm glad you asked me because that's also we've written quite a bit about. The writings of Josephus are the main source we have for the reign of Herod. He has you. <laughs> If you've ever read the Antiquities or the Wars of the Jews, you know that he deals a lot with Herod the Great and also with his successors. Now, the major events in the life of Herod are when he was appointed king of Judea by the Romans, by the Roman Senate. And that, um, we hold, was in late 39 BC. The next year, and three years later, he captures Jerusalem with the aid of the Roman general Sosius and the Roman armies. That, we maintain, was 36 BC. And then he reigned for 37 years, um, Josephus says, which, let's see, well, I forget what I said, how, how long. He, I know he says he was about 72 years of age when he died. But anyway, then he died as we say, after well, it was after a lunar eclipse, we can forget that question for a little bit. Now, the trouble is that those dates, 39 BC for the investiture by the Romans and 36 BC for the capture of Jerusalem are contradicted by a German liberal scholar who wrote in the, I guess in the 1890s, his name was Emil Schurer. And the way he dated Herod was he took a passage in Josephus that said that Herod was appointed king in the consul years, and he gave the names of two Roman consuls, which I don't remember right now. And then three years later, when he captured Jerusalem, he gave the name of two other consuls, and that was 37 BC. Now, a very prominent Roman author said that there was no Roman activity in Syria, which was the area of Kudia, in 37 BC. Direct contradiction to what this date. Josephus actually made a mistake of one year in his consular years. That has led to all kinds of, of wrong chronology, because even Josephus' own writings, the, the, those, those consular years are wrong. Once you realize that consular years are wrong, then things straighten out. Now, one of the things that's based on those consular years is the writing of Benedict Zuckerman, Zuckerman or Zuckerman, who was a German writer who tried to establish the date of the sabbatical years in the time of Herod the Great and Josephus. And 
he took these, he did the same thing. He took these wrong sabbatical years, excuse me, the wrong consular years and tried to conduct sabbatical years. As soon as he did that, he read into problems with Josephus elsewhere. See, I'm saying that Josephus mm -hmm. is right in many of his things here, but he yeah. was wrong on, on the consular mm -hmm. years. I may have said the wrong thing, consular years. Yeah. This guy, Zuckerman, immediately ran into conflict with Josephus's chronology of sabbatical years for the Hasmonean period. That means the second century BC. He immediately ran into conflict with that. In the, matter of fact, on page 45, he uses the consular years. On page 46 of his treatise, he runs into conflict with what Josephus says elsewhere. He ends up concluding that Josephus did not, not know how to write Greek correctly. If you read what Zuckerman, it's just absolutely absurd what he has to do. Instead of saying that I started the wrong foot here with the wrong consular years, he ends up contradicting Josephus elsewhere. He contradicts the Roman historians. He contradicts the history of Ventidius, who was a Roman general, who was a very involved in his time. Those are the things that Andrew Spamin had written about. If you just realize that wrong consular year that he took, everything else in Josephus fits that Herod died in 1 BC, hmm. and Jesus was born in 3 or 2 BC. Gotcha. And okay. We've written extensively on that. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, 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 okay. Um, yeah, I mean, this may be a wrong way of thinking, but, uh, you know, as far as the, the calendar and how we count it, um, BC and then AD, uh, in my mind, and I'm just commenting here, you can, you can, you can comment as well. But in, in my mind, the, the further away we get from 1 AD and 1 BC, as, as far as the birth of Christ, it seems like the less there is a justification for the, the change in that calendar. Is, does that make sense that the closer Christ is born to that date, it, it seems to fit the reason for yes. the way but, we've changed uh, the way we count. Well, that was uh, the person who gave us our BC and AD, their AD dates, not the BC dates were later, was this guy named Dionysius Exiguus, that is Dionysius of Lesser. He was, what, about 500 AD or something. He was looking back 500 years trying to figure that out. Hmm. He got it pretty close, you might say, but not quite. No, yeah. no Close, but no cigar on that one. Yeah, so I mean, that was his that was his hmm, interesting. So he was going back and, and changing it from the what he felt was the the birth uh, the birth date. Um, you're saying he was a couple of years off. Where he, he wasn't he wasn't changing anything. He was using the the Roman historians and what he could find in terms of classical authors to determine that when Christ was born, which would involve the years of um, Augustus, the emperor, and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. I, I just meant the 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 calendar as far as uh, counting up um, from that date. And unfortunately, what... there was no concept of zero yet. You should have said Jesus was born in zero BC, but because <laughs> you go yeah. from one BC to one AD, there should have been a zero in there. Yeah, <laughs> zero was a late mathematical concept. The Greeks didn't have any concept of zero. Yeah, that's so interesting. It, that would have that would have uh, helped. Well, astronomers, um, as you probably know, when something happened, what we say it was 4 BC, they say it was minus 3. Hmm. They say minus 3. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they put zero in there. They have to do it for their calculations. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, yeah, so I, I, I do think that, um, at least in my mind, it makes a little bit sense, uh, more sense to be closer to the 
the one uh, AD date. Um, so the next big question when it comes to Christ is the date of his crucifixion. Uh, where do you pin that down? Well, um, um, Dr. Steinman and I, by the way, if, if you want a, one book to read about biblical knowledge, uh, Steinman's book, from Abraham to Paul, a Biblical Chronology, published in 2011, is the one book to read. The other two major books are Sheila's Mysterious Numbers of the Hebrew Kings, and the other is, I've already mentioned, Jack Finnegan's Handbook of Biblical Chronology. But the, um, let's see, what was the question again since I got off the... Uh, Christ's crucifixion date. Crucifixion date. All right, we, we agree, Finnegan agrees, the crucifixion was in AD 33. And the... Um, the only two, in my opinion, only two viable, sort of semi-credible years, 80-30 or 80-33. And a lot of respectable biblical chronologists take 80-30. The 80-33 agrees with what I already mentioned, the birth of Christ in 3 or 2 BC, because um, Luke says he's about 30 years old when mm -hmm. When he began his ministry, it also begins the 15th year of Tiberius. The 15th year of Tiberius was 29 AD. If Christ had a three and a half year ministry, which Andrew Steinman shows in his book from Abraham to Paul, it was three and a half years of ministry. If he began in the 15th year of Tiberius, 29 AD, then his ministry ends not in 30, which is only one year later, but he ends in three and a half years later, which is AD 33. That's one of the arguments. There's also arguments built based on how long it was Solomon's temple was in building when the um, Jewish priests say to Jesus, the, temp the temple of Herod had been, been building for 46 years. Had been, the the now mm -hmm. the main part of the temple had been finished 46 years earlier. That's a very textual problem. Andy Steinman has written on that. The year of Tiberius being the 15th year. The fact that Jesus was about 30 years old in AD 29, all of these fit together. That I think a very strong case is it's AD 33. But again, we've written on, particularly Andy has written on that in his articles, um, and everything fits. My far as I'm concerned, everything fits. The Roman years of the emperor, the years of Herod all fit, and the fact that Jesus was 30 years old, that all fits 33. None of that fits 30, although I recognize there are people who, by the way, the only reason, the reason they're only 30 and 33 are the only viable candidates, because only in those years was was a, the, could the crucifixion be on a Friday. Otherwise, it was yeah. not some other day of the week. Right. Yep. Yep. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've heard many make the case uh, for 33. Um, interestingly enough, I watched a documentary... I believe on Amazon, there's a lot of uh, religious documentaries on there. And one was, I believe, an archaeologist, and he was studying earthquakes, uh, of, of all things. And that he, he came up with the 33 date uh, based on earthquake, which he thinks happened, um, you know, at, at Christ's death. By the way, that's Gordon Friends. He's a someone I might consider friend. Anyway, I have correspondence with Gordon France has been excavating there at the Dead Sea. Mm -hmm. And the you can tell where the earthquakes were by what's called varves, that sort of ripples in the sediment layers of the Red Sea. And he's one he had a peer-reviewed paper in which he said there was an earthquake, uh, apparently about AD 33, which was some uncertainty in exactly I mean it's it's plus or minus three years or so 
on. He, he probably was taking up some of that information that Gordon France had published, saying there really was an earthquake, which is interesting. The skeptics say there was an earthquake, but it could not be at the time of Jesus' resurrection. Because why do they say that? Why couldn't it be? Well, because that means the Bible was true, you know? Of course, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, so my one question on that, um, and I've heard this as a justification for the 30 AD date, is that there are 40 years between that date and 70 AD when the uh, temple was destroyed. And, um, you know, I, I believe they used Josephus well, as Why did their... it have to be 40 years? Well, I think they believe uh, that Josephus recorded the 40 years um, that passed between uh, those two events. Um, I think for theological I, I reasons, the 40 years... about Jesus, and he, he, he knew where... I mean, is there a very short passage in Jo in Josephus about Jesus, and it doesn't say anything about forty years there. I I haven't read it. I don't know anywhere else in the Jews Josephus might have said that, but that'd be the logical place. Since I'm familiar mm -hmm. with that passage, I know that there's nothing said about forty years there. Yeah. Okay. I mean, perhaps I'm incorrect. Maybe um, I'm just going off my memory. I'm not I'm not reading or quoting, so um, I I could be wrong. But I do think uh, for theological reasons. Um, the 40, you know, going, you know, going back to the flood or the, the wandering years, um, it fits for that reason. So outside of that, you know, I don't know if they're, um, if it has to be 40 years. Well, I might mention one thing about the 15th year of Siberius, which is supports the 33 date. Andy Steinman has by himself this time published an article in, um, I think it was the Rick, Rickliffe, I mean, the uh, Tyndale commentary, Tyndale um, bulletin showing that all Roman authors and Greek authors who wrote about Tiberius never dated his starting starting of his reign from 26 AD, which you have to get if you support 30 AD being the 15th year of Tiberius, you have to start his reign. Um, let's see, you you can't you can't figure his reign. To come up with 20, 20, 30 AD crucifixion, unless you start his Tiberius's reign four years earlier or three years earlier, I think it is, than any of the Roman and Greek authors had. Mm -hmm. This article by Dr. Steinman says that he cites these original sources in the Greeks and in the Romans, saying that the only 15th year of Tiberius that makes any sense is it's AD 29, not AD. 26. Yeah. The original mm. authors in Greek and Roman, and you have to kind of stretch things. Try to they say that, oh, he was appointed counselor, he was appointed joint ruler of the provinces in in um, four years earlier. So they but the original sources do not allow that. Yeah. That's one of the many reasons it's 8033, not 8030. Yeah, 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 yeah. I may have gotten some of the minutia there not quite right but anyway i know yeah. the 15th year has to be 29 ad i gotcha i think perhaps those that argue the the 40 years are looking more at, at bible passages i forgot to mention uh jonah uh what, what was another one as he, he he preached that you know for him it was 40 days that well, he was not destroyed. The time from 40 shows up in the bible it just happens it doesn't mention that for 
the time that Jerusalem would be destroyed. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, okay, so this is uh, this is the last question, at least that I had pre prepared to ask. Um, and this is something I've heard uh, quite a bit about. Um, I noticed that there is. I had a, a family member send me a, a video that was titled Messiah 2030, and they basically picked up on this idea um, and basically compiled uh, a bunch of different um, passages to support the idea of a 7,000-year uh, chronology. Now, based on kind of what you said about the Septuagint, uh, it sounds like you probably— with the Septuagint, yes. Yeah, yeah, so it doesn't sound like you, you probably— um, follow that, but are, are you familiar? Have you heard of this uh, idea of a seven thousand? Um, you know, it's a six thousand year plan a, for a man. Jewish, uh, Jews mm -hmm. had, had the time of Christ and earlier, something about six thousand years until the Messiah would come. Some some have said there's four thousand years for the time of the uh, patriarchs and two thousand years for the church age and a thousand year of millennium. There's lots of things you can make sort of make up or. In, think about in that regard. Um, one of the interesting things that three people have asked me about, both the Jubilee cycles, actually, if you read my writing, you know that that is probably the area of really original research that I've done is on the Jubilee cycles and sabbatical mm -hmm. cycles, mm -hmm. beside the kingdom period, the kingdom period. But since I'm among people who've read my writings, they know that I'm very interested in the Jubilee cycles. Someone asked me when the 70th Jubilee was due. Well, the 70th Jubilee year, if you start when they entered the land in 1406 BC, you work out the mathematics of it, and the 70th Jubilee year began on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, last um, September, a month and a half ago, I believe it was the 24th of September, the 70th Jubilee. Now, you can make a big thing about that. I don't sure. know if it means anything or not. But we are in the 70th Jubilee year. The, the 70th Jubilee year, if you get the correct chronology that they entered the land in 1406 BC, it turns out that right now we are sitting in the 70th Jubilee year. Does it mean Jesus is going to return tomorrow? I hope so. But I, don't, I certainly wouldn't predict that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. So you, can, you can build speculative systems based on numbers, mm -hmm. and you need a reality check. And that's what I try to do with all my writing. Let's do a reality check if this idea is right or not. But a lot of people are not willing to do that. Yeah, yeah, I noticed. Um, I mean, this may be kind of my first introduction to biblical chronology was within the context of you know people trying to nail down a date for either Christ's return or the start of a, a seven-year tribulation, uh, and you do get into the jubilees quite quite a bit. But to your point, um, even people that do extensive work and can show that. So many time has passed, or like you said, that we we're in the 70th Jubilee, to take that and then to then leap and interpret that as meaning this is the year that something's going to happen, yes. I think is uh, – it's pretty baseless. I mean, uh, you know, on the it's face of it – a lot of people being embarrassed and pitfalls. <laughs> yeah, and of course, you know, when, when the date comes and goes, then they just – adjust um the math right or whatever right, um but uh so 
speaking of, of Jubilee, there are some that will calculate those in 50-year cycles and some that calculate those in 49-year cycles. Which do you favor? Or, you know, I've, which... I've written on that quite a bit. Yeah. It's 49-year cycle. Mm -hmm. There was no 50th Jubilee after the 49th year. Nowhere is anything said about two sabbatical years in succession, two years in which the land may follow. That is not, it's actually ruled against in, in Leviticus chapter 25 or 27, that there is only one year of the life the, the um, land laying fallow. And there, there was Rabbi Jehuda in the Talmud was advocating that it was a 50th year was a separate year, but following the 49th sabbatical year, but it was also the first year of the next cycle. So, so you come up with the 49 year cycle. So there's a lot have been written about that. The two major books that have been written by even non-evangelical scholars on the Jubilee cycles both concluded that the Jubilee cycle was um, 49 years, and the 50th, the so-called 50th year, was identical to the seventh sabbatical year. In other words, the the seventh sabbatical year was identical to the Jubilee year. Only the Jubilee year, unlike the usual sabbatical year, started not on Rosh Hashanah, New Year's Day. It started on Yom Kippur. That's why in Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 1, Ezekiel says it was both the, it was Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. That's, that, that's in the Hebrew. You, you not find that translated quite correct in most English versions. Ezekiel 40, verse 1 says in the Hebrew, it was Rosh Hashanah, and it was also, um, it said it was the 10th of the month. I, I didn't say it was Yom Kippur, it said it was the 10th of the month. The only time in Jewish history when the Rosh Hashanah, the New Year's Day, was the end of the month, was in a jubilee year. Therefore, Ezekiel 40, verse 1, when he saw his great vision in the last nine chapters of Ezekiel, that all occurred on Yom Kippur on 574 BC. It was a sabbatical year. And it's interesting, it was a jubilee year because it was the it was both Yom Kippur, that is the 10th day of the month, and it was also Rosh Hashanah. It's interesting that the Talmud and Ur and Matha Seder Olam, Jewish writings, all say that it was a 17th Jubilee, which contradicts their systems. Their systems of chronology is contradicted by that. It had to be historical remembrance. And if you go from that day in 574 BC in Tishri the 10th, the fall of 574 BC, and you measure back 17 sabbatical cycles, you come up with 1406 BC for the start of counting, which means the Exodus was in 1446, which is exactly in keeping with the hmm. first and sixth one that puts it 479 years earlier than hmm. 66 BC. So let me ask a, a clarifying question. You said you're in support of the 49 year uh, cycle. So yes. to clarify, they had a a sabbatical year, which is which was the seventh year. After seven sabbaticals, you reached the forty ninth year, um, well, and then it, it, it included the seventh sabbatical cycle, which was the forty ninth, right? Forty ninth year. Yeah, so the forty ninth year is both a sabbatical and it is the conclusion of seven um, uh, sabbatical years. Sabbatical, sabbatical years, right? So. Uh, the 50th year then, right? So if I'm taking the sabbatical year on year 49 and the Jubilee is year 50, I'm starting over a new sabbatical um, 
series. And so that 50th year is also year one of the next sabbatical cycle. Is that what you're saying? No, that is what Rabbi Yehuda said. Okay, so Talmud. that was his position. There's a big argument in the in the Talmud. Yeah, Talmud is full of arguments, full of conflicts. Rabbi Yehuda was known for the for the position just exactly as you just said. said yeah. Okay. Actually, yeah, this, so... if you think about it, the year sabbatical year, the seventh sabbatical year was year forty nine and a half. Now they don't do that because Moses started the calendar in Nisan in the spring. But the sabbatical years and the harvest mm. years, agriculture year always starts in Tishri in the fall. Okay. So see. if you see. go by the what Moses in chapter 12, verse 1 of, of Exodus was told that this is to mark the beginning of your year, um, <laughs> the month that, that we now call Nisan. Well, if you do that, it was the sabbatical, the Jubilee year was year 49 and a half, but instead of saying that just calls it the 50th year, it's year 49 and a half, which whatever way you want to call it, because there were two, the two cycles. There was the religious calendar starts in Nisan in the spring, and there was the harvest or agricultural cycle that started in Tishri in the fall. And that's the way it is to this day in, in Israel. In Israel, they celebrate New Year's Day, not when Nisan, which is the first month, they don't celebrate New Year's Day in the first month. They celebrate it in the seventh month. So to this day, they, Jewish people celebrate Rosh Hashanah, New Year's Day, on, in the fall, September or October. I think it was mm -hmm. the middle of September last mm -hmm. yeah. two months ago. Okay, so let me try to clarify. Again, you're saying that the sabbatical cycles start in the spring and end in the spring. No, they start in the fall. Okay, so they it's start... the religious calendar that starts in the spring. Okay, so they start and end in the fall, and then so that 50th year is going to run until the spring? The 50th year is, is actually the 49 and a half year, and it's it's just called that. I think you can make an argument about the the Feast of End Gathering, which they say in one place costs 77 weeks, but then they call it the, the day that they gather in the first fruits is called the 50th, but it's only said it was seven weeks. So it means the 50th was a way of saying the 49th. I, I'm not, I'm not going into that very much, but a, a basic idea, I've, these two books that have written on the subject, the major studies, not even by evangelical scholars, but one of them is Le Jubilé Biblique by Jean-François Levedre. And he concludes after looking at all the texts involved and that it, there was no two years in succession Mm -hmm. the, the the 50th year was identical to the 49th year. There was only the this Jubilee year was identical to the seventh sabbatical year. That's Jean-Francois Lefebvre. He'd written an extensive book on that. And then mm -hmm. earlier than him, Robert North read a, a book and called the Sociology of the Biblical Jubilee. And he looked at the text and also decided by careful looking at the text, what was given to Moses in the law, that the Jubilee year was identical to the seventh sabbatical year. Those are the main works uh, uh, on on the jubilee, and okay. I think that they have they have correctly interpreted what the biblical texts teach. So they're just running on cycles of forty nine. I mean, exactly. that all makes and sense. By the way, that... the, um, the earlier the the book of jubilees forty nine, um, which was written about the third century, about three hundred BC. Everything is a forty nine year cycle in the book of jubilees. The whole that's a, I mean, it's kind of a very imaginative 
a not very historical book, but it shows that in the third century BC they they accepted the fact that, that was the... Jews accepted the fact that it was a forty nine year cycle. I gotcha. Okay, so I'm following that. I, um, sorry, I'm harping on this. Um, I'm trying to un understand the fiftieth year. Saying if I were to celebrate the jubilee, that would run for you would extend um, into the then until the spring so we're concluding yes. that yes. sabbath year in the fall and then the jubilee will extend that further until right. the spring both both the sabbatical and the jubilee are starting tishri of in the fall both of them so, start at the same time well, why do they call it the 50th then if it's the same as the 49th it's apparently a type of expression that we're not too too, uh, too familiar with but i already mentioned that the when the um the feast of ingathering they call it the 50th day but if you look at it it seems to be only the 47 weeks I, I but i also mentioned earlier that it really seems like it's year 49 and a half because the religious year started in nisan in the spring so you come up with the the jubilee and the sabbatical year started in the fall in in um, september october six months later it's really year 49 and a half, but anyway, they just, it seems like the Bible just approximate, instead of saying 49 and a half, it says 50th. Hmm. I don't know if that's too satisfactory, but that's, that's it, it, things work out when you accept it that way. And definitely, it's the, definitely the idea of two years in succession of the lion, ground, lion fellow is contradicted by the passages in Leviticus that say that only one year was the lion fellow. Hmm. It talks about the Jubilee year. It was, it says you you uh, don't uh, in, in the the passages you you weep in the eighth year, and I could look that up. I think what what talks about one year, right? Make hmm. clear there's only one year when the land landlines follow. You cannot have two years of the landline fellow. Otherwise, you really have a terrible situation. <laughs> I was gonna say. I mean, like I I understand. Yeah, the land resting for they one not, year, but geez, Louise, two years. Yeah, they they sowed in this in the fall and they reaped in the spring. So mm -hmm. when the year began in the or sabbatical year in the fall, you couldn't sow and you couldn't reap the next spring, but you could sow the following fall. Which you could sow that was made quite yeah. clear in the Book of Leviticus, which <laughs> wouldn't work if there was a 49th year followed by a 50th year. Both of them landing fallow. I know yeah. it's a little difficult. So the expression of 50s is if you're starting in the spring, then you're you're a little bit past, you're about a half year past. Yeah, you could say yeah. it was, if you're starting the 50th year in the spring, maybe something like that. It's hmm. difficult to figure Interesting. out. Interesting. That is difficult, but I will say if you do take the position that the 50th is also the first of the next cycle, then you, yeah, you're looking at two years, which, um, you know, you're right. You don't ever actually see that practice in the Bible. It's hard to imagine no. um, the rationale for, for, following up a sabbath year with another uh yeah. sabbath right even though it's actually the the first first year of a new cycle so i i'm with you there um you can see why rabbi yehuda took that position but anyway, mm -hmm. it's, it's oh yeah actually the way i don't No, that's the it. first i've heard heard this this position and so yeah i'll have to look into that further but uh yeah i'm, I'm, I'm following you um yeah, so I guess I'm going to ask uh, just a, a couple other qualifying, uh, clarifying questions. Uh, I meant to ask earlier when you when you mentioned um, 
you use the Septuagint uh, to date Adam. Do you take the position that the six days prior were 24-hour days? Because you said you didn't yes, want to but if date I creation. That, I'm going to lose part of my audience. But by <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. Well, that's the, hey, that's fine. Um, I, I, I'd rather uh, yes, be divisive. You know, it's fine. Days. I'm yeah. talking about here, but what's going on is what's interesting. Yeah, I got you. Um, okay, and so I, I guess my last clarifying question. Um, you know, I already mentioned as far as like the the date setting and those things um, go. So there, there's, you know, even even without the 7,000 year kind of timeline, um, there's a lot of, uh, so I'll, Hosea 6.2 talks about um, being revived on the third day. And so many people are, even if they're not holding to that 7,000 year chronology, are looking at a 2,000 year church age um, until the return of Christ. So uh, can you comment on, have you heard of that or you have any uh, comment as far as reading Hosea 6-2 in that way? In which text? The third day will revive us, you mean? Yes, yes, Hosea 6-2, yeah. Don't you take that referring to Christ? That well, that's some people's positions. I'm asking what your position is. It definitely refers to the resurrection of Christ, as far as I'm concerned. I got you. Um, and then so the other thing that kind of goes with that uh, idea is the the day of the Lord referring to a thousand year. Um, yes, that's a nice scheme too to make six thousand years of history followed by a thousand year millennium. It, they with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years one day. It's very interesting to speculate along those lines. Mm -hmm. I, I try to keep more to rather than theological speculation, trying to keep it look at it from a historical basis and also a textual yeah. basis. Where I try to avoid like this question. In fact, we're now in the 70th Jubilee year. I'm definitely not going to say what that means. <laughs> That's speculation, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I try I to avoid you. speculation. I try to go by what the text says and what history says and sort of be a historian in those matters rather than trying to come up with some bright idea that tramples on all the facts. <laughs> yeah. That, that's what I encounter all the time. I get emails from people. Mr. Young, I, I read your article, and I have this bright idea. Mm -hmm. Off they go. There's no stopping them. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny enough because that's you know you're you're just working with history, working out the chronology. But many people will use your work as an excuse to justify their theories about the return of Christ. So it's interesting to hear you to and talk we, about how that's something that comes up often for you. We, anybody says he knows when Christ's going to return, you know he's a false prophet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No one. Uh, <laughs> Every, is it 100% um, failure rate so far? Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, that is, uh, you know, the conclusion of what I've had for you. So uh, I'll close by just basically inviting you to kind of say anything else that, that you want to. And, of course, share, you know, you already mentioned, I think, where people um, can find your articles. You can maybe uh, remind people of that. And I'll uh, put the links uh, for that in the show notes so people can access that. Uh, but uh, definitely thank you for coming on. I've enjoyed this conversation and I've learned quite a bit myself. Um, so this will, you know, for me, uh, will be uh, a springboard for me to kind of look uh, 
more into some of these things. Uh, this is um, this is a fun uh, topic, I think, and and one that uh, is worthwhile. Uh, so anyway, um, thanks again. Uh, again, any closing thoughts, and then share uh, how people can find your articles. Well, I said I try to go sort of historical and even mathematical approach to these things and not try to impose my own ideas. I do believe firmly in the inerrancy of Scripture. I believe there's a moral obligation for God, if you want me to say so, to reveal to his creatures, to us, what the truth is and in a way that we can trust it. Now, we yes, we have to study the text. We have to decide whether the Septuagint is the best text or the Masoretic. He leaves a place for us to work on this, but basically we can we must go ahead and proceed on the basis that God will give us something that is trustworthy to be. Yeah. Otherwise, he's left us, left us off just his most important creation, us humans, without knowing the truth. Right. I believe God knows us, God wants us to know the truth. Of course, ultimately, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he also said that the word of God is true. We have to believe, that's my starting position, that God has given us a scripture which, when we study it properly and not try to force our own ideas on it, we can trust. And that's been the basis of my approach, that we all have a bias. You might say, but that's my bias, but it's based on a sort of philosophical reasoning. Going beyond that, I try to stay, study the text, read the text in the original Hebrew, and, and uh, find out what it actually says, which I say are just one mere modification for Kirsten's First Kings six one turns to be right important when you interpret that right. But what I found is when I did this, things time after time fall into place. I find out that my corrections to Tila's chronology differences was verified by Valerius Cook. I am probably the chief uh, interpreter, modern interpreter of this Belgian Jesuit scholar, Valerius Cook. I have translated his work from the French. It's on my web page. By the way, my web page, if you want to get to it, the easiest way is rcyoung.org. That's rcyoung.org. Then you'll find full knowledge with my, with my chronology things and others there at the top. Now, things fell in place time after time. One of the things that fell falling in place is this Mount Ebal curse tablet that was found, where the plaster was found um, on the Joshua's altar, the ground altar. This verifies my date, our date for the Exodus. Time after time, I have found since I started writing in 2003 that I don't have to make up new things. I find things like uh, that are verified this chronology when we have the trust that God gave us an accurate chronology. And that is not the same way with the critics of the Bible who keep making excuses for why their system does not fit archaeological yeah, data yeah. or that sort of thing. So That's it's great. been very gratifying to find as even to this present day, things that have come up new that verify that when we approach the Bible with faith, with a real un, trying to understand and write what that really says, that we that we find encouragement. And so, you want me to finish with prayer, or do you want to say anything more? No, yeah, um, yeah, no, yeah, no thank really you. I, I guess I just. Uh, to comment on that, that this can be a, a big faith builder uh, for those that look into chronology. Um, as you can see, that yeah, things begin to fit and it becomes to it becomes real. So I hope that uh, those that listened um, will uh, have that same experience. But uh, yeah, uh, go ahead and close this out in prayer. Yes, and as, as I mentioned, um, if you read the Bible, you soon find that God is very interested in chronology, and I hope that you and your 
audience will be approach a new appreciation of that. So Heavenly Father, thank you for this interview with Samuel. We do pray that it help us understand where we're deficient in our understanding, help us to have new light, we pray, but help your name to be exalted and your word to be exalted and Jesus Christ be lifted up in all that we do, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to share it with somebody you know. And with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.